Slavery in this country was abolished with President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 and the 13th Amendment in 1865. But there's another kind of slavery we all need to be delivered from. Here's Trent Griffith to explain. God offers not only forgiveness of sin, but freedom from sin. He wants to change me. He wants to give me a new master. Freedom is not just doing whatever I want to do. Freedom is doing things that I'd never have the power or desire to do without a savior. There's no way that I can obey the law unless God sets me free from the disobedience that enslaves me to the appetites of my flesh. And so in Christ, all of those promises are available to all who will believe. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today, we're finishing up a series titled Epic, and in it, we've been tracing the promise of God through many of the key stories in the Old Testament. So let's review some of what we heard last week and then conclude this message. Here's Pastor Trent. How many stories does the Bible have? The answer is one story. Second question on the test. Who's the hero of every story? Jesus, you are going to pass this test. As I can see, this is going great, okay? Now, we're going to see this from a preacher He knew the stories of the Old Testament better than anybody in this room. He had studied them. He'd immersed himself in them. He had taught them, but he never got the point until Jesus revealed himself to him. His name was Saul. It had such an epic impact upon his life. It changed his name. Now we know him as Paul. He's going to write half the New Testament explaining the epic significance of the Old Testament. And we're going to see the transcript of his first sermon right here in Acts chapter 13. Paul addresses them, men of Israel, people who fear God. This is what he says, verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. If you'd like a little summary of the Bible, you can do it in a few words. God led them out. What's he referring to? He's going way back to the first few pages of the Bible, starting with their father, Father Abraham. And do you remember when we started this series? We started in Genesis chapter 12, with the story of Father Abraham, God called him out of the place he was living and he told him to go to a very specific place and he gave him a fourfold promise. He promised to bless him, he promised to make him a great nation, and he promised to give him a promised land, and he promised that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's how the whole story begins in Genesis chapter 12. Another episode in Abraham's life we looked at, we said this is when the promise prayed. Abraham noticed the city of Sodom, and God says, I'm going to wipe out the city of Sodom. And Abraham starts to bargain with God like he's at a flea market. And the wait, 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 God, 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 wait, wait. Would Would you spare the city if I could find 50 righteous men? And God says, I would. Wait, wait, 50, how about 45? 
Okay. Uh, he's looking around like, I don't think I can find 45. How about 40? Okay. 30, 20, 10. And God says, okay, if you can find 10 righteous men, I will pardon the city. And the story stops, and we're wondering what we would expect to see is why wouldn't he go like 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, but he doesn't. And I think it's because he knew he couldn't find one. And so judgment came. But notice the principle that was laid out for us in Genesis 18. In this conversation with Abraham, we are seeing the doctrine of imputation. It goes like this God agrees to pardon the wicked many on behalf of the righteous one. If we could only find one. And all through the Old Testament, we're forced like, where is he? Where is the righteous one that will be the savior of the world? And Paul is saying, it's Jesus. He is the righteous one. Even the story of David and Goliath. The armies of Israel were on one side of the valley, on one hillside. On the other hillside were the armies of the Philistines. And the Philistines sent out their best warrior. His name was Goliath. And he curses the armies of the living God. And what is Saul doing? Saul's like, I ain't fighting him. Looks like a cage match, and I am not Floyd Waymether. I'm not getting in there. And so he's standing back in fear along with everybody else in the army. And finally, this little shepherd boy, David, shows up and says, I'll go fight him. He walks out there, picks up a rock, slings it, knocks him in the head. Giant falls down, picks up his sword, cuts his head off. And then looks back at everybody like, what are y'all doing on the mountainside? And what are we forced to grapple with? A representative champion has defeated the only enemy that can kill them. And after that enemy is defeated, they race off the mountainside and chase the rest of their enemies away. Paul is saying, don't you see, fellas? The only enemy that can kill us is sin and death. And we have a representative champion, one who is from the line of David, who has gone and fought and won the battle on our behalf. He has fought the war for us. He has fought the war as us. And as a result, every epic story is the unfolding story of Jesus, our representative champion. A couple of weeks ago, um, Andrew and I were with some friends and uh, uh, we, we were having dinner and, and our friends told us that they were inviting some of their friends to have dinner with us. And we didn't know these people, but uh, uh, they said, um, you'll enjoy them. They're a lot of fun. They were an older couple and they're probably in their 70s at this point. But they told us they're Jewish and we've been sharing the gospel with them for years. So they won't be intimidated at all by the fact that there's a pastor at the table. I'm like, well, oh, that's comforting. I'm sure we'll have a wonderful conversation. The fact that you've revealed my identity even before I get to stick my foot in my mouth then. So, but they were a wonderful couple, and as we began to talk and everything, I, I just kind of was listening and letting conversation happening. But, but then finally, I couldn't hold it back anymore. I asked them, I said, have you ever been to Israel? Because I just went to Israel in April, and it was just so life-changing, and I want to let them know how much that, that had meant to me. And, of course, they'd been to Israel several times. And, and then I, I went on to explain what the impact was of that and the fact that I was 
you know, taking my church through this epic series, the unfolding stories of the Hebrew faith and the Hebrew people. And here I was having this wonderful conversation with some descendants of Abraham. And I just told them that as Christians, we read the Bible differently than you guys read the Bible because we see Jesus as the hero of every story. And I told them, I went through the whole epic series, all nine um, uh, previous sermons and we, for 14 hours. It was wonderful. And, and, and no, not, not really, but... Uh, you know, really what was wonderful is the woman especially was spellbound. I said, do you ever go to synagogue? Oh, synagogue. We go to synagogue all the time. It's so boring. What do they do there? They open the law and the prophets and they read the law and the prophets. Everybody's got it memorized. She hated it. Why? Because she didn't understand Every epic story in the Bible is the unfolding story of Jesus. And as I told her those things, I think some things were connecting. I think God may be prying her heart open a little bit. You can pray for this couple. But if you this morning have been so familiar, raised in church, hearing these stories and have never connected the dots, and if you thought that somehow those were moral stories to inspire your obedience, you missed it. And you're probably bored to tears in church if that's the way you read your Bible. Be encouraged by the fact that it's Jesus who is the hero of the story. Look down at verse uh, 26. Because Paul doesn't just explain the Scripture. That's a boring preacher. Everybody say, that's a boring preacher. He applies the Scripture. And so he starts to apply it. And he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, so he's Jews and Gentiles, to us has been sent the message of salvation. It's not just about what happened hundreds of years ago. It is about what God wants to do among us. We have the message of salvation. Verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Do you see that? All that was written of him. What's that referring to? That is referring to the law and the prophets, and everything that was written in the Old Testament that has made up this epic series. All of those stories were telling us what would happen to him. He would carry the wood to the place of his own execution. He would be the Lamb of God who would spill his blood so that we could get out of slavery under the blood. He would be our representative champion as David fought and killed Goliath. Jesus would fight and kill sin and death so that our victory is won in him. All of those were things that were written of him. And so verse 29 closes. They took him off the tree and they laid him in a tomb. And that's all. End of Bible. End of story. Promise dead. Oh, do you have a verse 32? Oh, I do too. Let's read that. But God raised him from the dead. We have a living Savior. He's alive. 
And they saw him, verse 31, and for many days he prepared, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news. The Bible is not a book of good advice to be followed. The Bible is a book of good news to be believed. The good advice is good if you could actually follow it. But you don't have the power to follow it until you believe the good news. And so he's offering the good news that God promised, there's our word, to the fathers and this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. So not only is every epic story in the Bible the unfolding story of Jesus, every epic story in the Bible is telling my story. Look over at verse 38. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is a story about you. This is a story about your sin. This is a story about your forgiveness. Verse 39, that by him, everyone who believes is freed. If you have the NIV, it says justified. That's a better word. Everyone who believes is justified declared righteous from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do you understand? When you read the story, you're reading your story. It's not just for others, it's for you. When you read the story of Abraham, God is calling you the way that He's called Abraham by His grace. Even though I'm under a curse, God wants to bless me. Abraham was counted righteous, justified by faith. And that is exactly what God offers to us. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit. How? By faith. You are justified by faith, not by obeying the law. And the scripture tells us, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when I read the story of Abraham and Isaac, I see myself in the story. I'm Isaac. I deserve to die. And yet God provided a lamb to die so I wouldn't have to. When I read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, I understand I am a citizen of Sodom. I am worthy of fire and brimstone being poured down on me in judgment. Why? Because I have committed the sins of Sodom. You know what the sin of Sodom is? That famous sin, didn't they? Ezekiel 16 tells us what the sin of Sodom was. Of course, you already know what it was, right? The first thing is this. The Bible says they were arrogant. That was their first sin. You say, yeah, but I, I know that there's... They, didn't they commit like some other sin? Yeah. The second sin that's listed there in Ezekiel 
is that they had excess of food. Uh, but uh, um, that's not the sin I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the next one was they had an abundance of idleness. That's the third sin. And they, yeah, but isn't there, isn't there like, isn't there like a really famous sin for Sodom? Yeah, they had a lack of compassion for the poor, Ezekiel says. And the fifth one was the abomination of unbridled sexuality. So way down the list in priority, when I read that story, have I been arrogant? Excess of food, abundance of idleness, and a lack of compassion for the, the poor? Sure have. I deserve the same judgment. That's my sin. And without a man who will be my substitute to pay the price of the promise, without the forgiveness of sin, I will never have an opportunity to spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. I need a substitute. I need the Passover lamb to get me out of slavery, to free me. The story of the Bible is not just about forgiveness. It's about freedom. God offers not only forgiveness of sin, but freedom from sin. He wants to change me. He wants to give me a new master. Freedom is not just doing whatever I want to do. Freedom is doing things that I'd never have the power or desire to do without a Savior. There's no way that I can obey the law unless God sets me free from the disobedience that enslaves me to the appetites of my flesh. And so in Christ, all of those promises are available to all who will believe. Do you remember how I left you hanging last week? Do you remember how we, we got to the very end of the Old Testament? We were in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And God used three leaders to get the people to return back to the land. Do you remember Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple and Ezra rebuilt the people by teaching the word and Nehemiah rebuilt the wall? And yet we're left disappointed because the temple that was rebuilt didn't have the same glory as the first temple. And the old men saw the second temple and the Bible says they wept. They were so disappointed. The book of Haggai even tells a further explanation about how disappointing it was that the manifest presence of God didn't dwell the second temple the way it did the first. And so we're, we're left just so disappointed at the end of the, the, the Old Testament and we're waiting for more. Well, about 400 years of silence goes by. God does not speak to the people. God doesn't demonstrate His glory. God doesn't manifest His presence. And then, there were some shepherds that were watching over their flocks by night. And they heard a voice of an angel. And the angel says, do not fear. Glory to God in the highest. And they're announced that the glory is returning. And they say, for unto you this day there is born in Bethlehem, a Savior. And they go and they see this little baby. And John tells us that in that baby named Jesus dwelled the glory of God. 
Do you know what Jesus' parents did just a few days after He was born? Luke chapter 2 tells us about it. They took baby Jesus to dedicate Him to the Lord. Where did they take Him? They took Him to the temple. And for the first time in 400 years, the manifest presence of God, the glory of God in Jesus Christ entered the temple. And Jesus kept going to the temple as He grew up. And then as an adult, He went one day and He was looking around and He's like, you know, you're not going to need this much longer. As a matter of fact, He said it was going to be destroyed and sure enough, it was. And do you know why they didn't need that anymore? Because no longer would the meeting place between God and man be a building in Jerusalem. It would be in a person named Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience the manifest presence of God, the glory of God, you're going to get it by looking at the face of Jesus Christ. In whom the glory of God dwells bodily. That is the epic significance of the promise. Jesus is the promise keeper. But before you can know Him, you have to see yourself as a citizen of Sodom. Before you can see Him, you must confess, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness of sin. I need to be set free of the things that are enslaving me. And the Bible promises everyone who believes will be freed from everything that has kept you bound in sin. There's a hurricane. Did you see that? Very sad. The mayor of one of the cities in that area, he made this statement on Friday. He said, if you choose not to evacuate, please write your social security number on your arm so that when we recover your body, we'll be able to identify you. In other words, if you choose not to heed the warning, you're going to die. That's the way Paul ends his sermon. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets would come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your day, a work you will not believe even if one tells you. How often have you been told the story of Jesus? Have you heeded the warning? Have you escaped the judgment of God by the Savior who forgives sin? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For every one of us, whether this is the first time you've heard that message or you've heard that message over and over and over, we need a Savior. Every time we hear the Gospel, it's an opportunity for us to repent and believe the Gospel. To wrap our lives around Jesus Christ. Sin deceives us into thinking we're okay. Sin deceives us into thinking we can do this on our own. Sin deceives us into thinking I, 
because I know not to sin, I must not sin. Because I know about forgiveness, I must be forgiven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Every time we hear the gospel, it's an opportunity to respond in faith, to reaffirm that Jesus is Savior. To live my life free from that which enslaves me. Would you open your heart to the Lord right now? Whatever He said to you, would you respond in faith? You may need to confess sin. You may need to make a public profession of faith. At the end of the service, our pastors will be here to receive you. If you need to come and profess faith in Christ, present yourself as a candidate for baptism. We're going to sing our response to Christ in just a moment. We're going to erupt in praise, understanding that He is the promise keeper. Before we do that, let me pray for you. Father, today we are really in awe that You would put up with us. And God, we've been encouraged by Your Word today. Lord, You've given us so much revelation that so many people don't have. I pray that all of that would inspire us to live by faith, to obey, to live a life pleasing to you. And God, would you receive our worship right now? Set us free from those things that hold us back from being a reflection of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And to that, we can only say amen. Well, that's House Fires with their song, Yes and Amen. Before that, we heard as Pastor Trent Griffith reviewed some of what we heard all summer long on our series here on Resonate. The series is called Epic. He showed us how the Apostle Paul interpreted the Old Testament stories in light of Jesus. And you can review the past programs when you visit mygospelcity.org resonate. Well, Trent Griffith is a senior pastor of Gospel City Church, and for more information about how you can visit Gospel City Church for a worship service, just head over to mygospelcity.org and click where you see, I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, have you ever come across something so incredible it literally took your breath away? 
Next week, Pastor Trent begins a new series called Breath Taken. Find out what should and should not be taking our breath away on the next Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in epic ways in your heart this week. See, I will rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.